If you have your Bible, uh, open up to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue in our study tonight of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is what we find in Galatians 5, beginning at verse 22, I believe. Yeah, 22 and 23. In order to understand, though, what we're talking about when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we need to understand that each one of us is bearing fruit each and every day. There are consequences that we have to our actions. Now, you may not see it right away. You might not always recognize it. You may not understand the correlation between what we do and what we choose to do, how we invest our time and our energy and what happens in our life. But the Bible teaches us that what we do, the choices that we make, have a direct impact on who we are and what happens to us in life. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit, he will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Here's what Paul is saying here. You're not fooling the Lord. You're not getting away with anything. The actions that you choose in your life, the things that you choose to do, the way that you choose to invest your time makes a difference. Our former pastor here, R.G. Lee, one of his most famous, his most famous sermon was payday someday. And that's the idea is that no matter what happens, you might think you're getting away with something, but payday is come, coming. Payday will come. And we will receive the results of our actions. If we sow, as he says here, to the flesh, we will reap destruction from the flesh. But if we sow to the spirit, he says here that we will reap eternal life from the Spirit. But beyond the one day payday that is coming, the person that you are today is a direct result of the choices that you are making. Jesus himself said this, that either you make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or you make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. What he's saying there is that at the end of the day, when you examine the fruit of a tree, you'll know if the, fruit, if the tree is good or not. If it puts out bad apples, it's a bad apple tree. If it is producing good apples, you know that it is a healthy, good apple tree. In the same way, what is inside of us directly reacts and shows who we are and, and re- results into the, the fruit that we bear in our life. Now, we don't get to decide if we're going to bear fruit. That's already been decided. We will bear fruit. We will reap what we sow. So here's the question we have to ask. What type of fruit are we bearing? You see, that's a choice that is up to us and something that we do have influence over in our lives. The type of fruit that we bear, the type of fruit that is produced in our lives is a direct result of the choices that we make and how we choose to invest our time and our energy. Your flesh desires to produce the fruit of the flesh but we have an opportunity to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? You have an opportunity to reflect God more clearly in your life. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is an excellent picture of who God is. And as we bear the fruit of the Spirit, we are restoring that image of God that he has put in us at creation. You have the opportunity to bear fruit that is consistent with who the Lord is. And here's the thing, it's not hidden. The pathway to the fruit of the Spirit is not hidden. It's not a secret. There's nothing that God is trying to hide from you in all this. He has laid out very clearly in Scripture how we are to follow him. It's not a secret. 
there's no secret formula, but it, it does require some intentionality, and it does in, require persistence. But when you walk by the Spirit, the Bible says when we walk with the Lord, the Lord will take care of producing the fruit in our lives. And not only that, the Bible says that when we produce the fruit of the Spirit, when we walk by the Spirit and we produce the fruit of the Spirit, it will also drown out the desires of our flesh. So instead of focusing in on the desires of our flesh and our sinful nature and trying to stop it, the Bible teaches us that we should walk with the Spirit and that takes care of the flesh. That's what Paul said in Galatians 5.16, just before he gave the fruit of the Spirit, he said, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. But what happens when you walk by the Spirit? Galatians 5.22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of walking with the Spirit, the fruit of walking with the Lord is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, we've been saying all semester that the fruit of the Spirit does not represent a checklist in our lives. This is not the things that we need to do in order to become a good Christian. Rather, this is the result of walking with the Spirit. And the truth is that even if this was a checklist that we had to, pr- to produce and uh, accomplish, these are the things that we must do in order to walk well with the Lord The reality is, is not one of us would have the ability in our own strength to do it. It is only when we walk with the Lord that we have the ability to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Because the reality is, it's not our fruit to bear. It's not our fruit. It is His fruit. And He promises that He will bear it through us. But what's required of us? Simply walking with the Lord. Now tonight we're looking at the second last one and. We'll be here three more weeks, and next week we'll look at the last one, and then the last two weeks we'll look at some big picture overview and and summarize what we've learned through the fruit of the Spirit. But tonight we're looking at gentleness. Now I'm going to be honest with you, this one does not come naturally to me. Gentleness is not one that I just naturally produce on my own. There's a a guy uh, here in town named Ken Edmonston who does a lot of, uh, he works with people and, and does a lot of I don't know how exactly to explain it other than maybe he, he looks at people's, uh, how they're wired and personalities and stuff and really helps people understand how God has wired them, how God has gifted them, and how we're able to best be what God has created us to be through the gifts and the talents and the personality that God has given us. So he had me uh, take a test and just kind of answer some questions about some of my tendencies and do you prefer this or that, and it's probably two or three hours worth of tests that I took. And when he, he got the results of the test, he called Drew Tucker here at the church and he said, hey, I'm not sure who this guy is, but I definitely would not make him a grief counselor. <laughs> he said, you know, maybe an assassin. Uh, and so I'm not sure how to exactly take that. But what he meant by that is that I, I can be very matter of fact. I can be very straightforward and I don't take a whole lot of time to rebound when something happens. If I get bad news, I can take it and move on very quickly. I'm not going to sympathize. I'm not an empathetic person at all. That's just not how God has naturally wired me. I'm not gentle in that way, but that does not give me an excuse to not be gentle. That does not give me an excuse not to bear the fruit of gentleness in my life. See, just because I am not naturally bent in a way does not excuse me. It does not give me an out. It is something I must lean into the Lord for even more because it's something that I need and only he can give me. Now, what is gentleness? When we say the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, what does that look like in our lives? What does it mean for the Lord to produce that in us? Now, when I think of gentle, 
A lot of times I think of something that's breakable and something I have to be careful with and I have to be very cautious. And, and honestly, the word timid sometimes comes to mind as well. When you think of being gentle, you, you think of walking on eggshells and you think of not, not breaking something, not creating havoc. But that's not at all what the Bible is speaking out when it speaks of gentleness. Now, I'm no Greek scholar in I've taken several semesters of Greek, and I think I I understood less than when I started. But I know how to read commentaries that are written by smart people who do understand other languages. And as I read, it says that the, the the word in Greek for gentleness really can be translated in multiple ways. Now, whenever you're translating from one language to another, you're always going to have some lost uh, understanding, you know, one word doesn't just mean one thing, but when you translate it, you have to give it one word a lot of times. And so a lot of ways, times seeing other ways that words are translated can help you get a more three-dimensional understanding of what a word might possibly mean. So you look in the New Testament about the word for gentleness, it's, it's often uh, translated and described in different ways. Gentleness is a big one, but also meekness. The word can also Talk about humility and courtesy for one another, having a mild spirit. I read in one commentary that said the word is often used for the quiet and friendly composure, which does not become embittered or angry at what is unpleasant, whether in the form of a person or a situation. It's a quiet, friendly composure, which does not become embittered or angry at what is unpleasant, whether in the form of a person or a situation. You know, sometimes understanding the opposite of something can, can help you understand what it is. The opposite of gentleness, what is it? But rough, brutal, overbearing, a self-interest, looking out for yourself. And so tonight as we look at gentleness, I want to understand what it means for us to be gentle. And the Bible is not teaching us to be timid. The Bible is not teaching us just to retreat and to not break things, not be scared to break things. But there's something much deeper that we are to understand. And as we walk through, I want us to to look at James chapter 1, 19 through 21. I believe this gives us a perfect example of what gentleness is. He says in James 1, 19 through 21, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I want us to see three very simple things tonight from God's word. The first is this, gentleness is meekness and humility. It's important when we read gentleness for us to understand that it's not just about being physically gentle with something. This is not necessarily an outward thing that we must do in terms of how we interact with things, but it is a description of our spirit. We must have a spirit that is meek and humble. It's a spiritual posture that we must take. Gentleness speaks of a humility that doesn't necessarily think less of yourself, but thinks of yourself less often. This is not a self-deprecation, but it is something that is focusing on others. At Tim Shelton's funeral a couple weeks ago, I believe it was his wife Susan that got up and read an excerpt of something that he had recently read and had underlined, highlighted. 
in a book that talked about the difference between people who, two types of people that walk into the room. There's people who walk in the room and say, here I am. And there are people that walk into the room and say, there you are. That is, I think, a great picture of a gentle spirit. Gentleness is meekness and humility. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, this isn't an understanding that isn't just about me. There is a respectful deference to other people, realizing that maybe you're not always right and definitely you're not always the solution to every problem. We live in a world that promotes self as much as possible. You look around, you see people celebrating every time other people stumble or mess up because it gives us the opportunity to excel. But a gentle spirit is one that is humble. It looks out for the best interest in others. The Lord doesn't want us to be, and the Bible doesn't teach us to be arrogant and self-seeking, but to have a gentle spirit. The world says, blessed is the the rich person, blessed is the, the famous, blessed is the popular. But listen to the way that Jesus talks in terms of who he says is blessed. I think this is also a great, all of these beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 are a great picture of a gentle spirit. Jesus began teaching them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble." For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and they thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward in heaven is great. For this is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus taught us that true greatness did not come in the form of being the best or trying to rise and and to self-promote, but it came in humility and in a gentle spirit. And when we walk with the Spirit, that is exactly what the Lord will produce in your life. See, a gentle spirit does not come naturally to most of us. It does not come naturally to me. I've already told you that. But is what God has called us to and what God expects of us. A gentle spirit is how we are to reflect the Lord. Many of you know Junior Hill, a great evangelist who preached for many years, preached at Bellevue many times. He's often said that he's known a lot of Christians who can strut while sitting down. And that's really, unfortunately, the posture that most of us take a lot of times, and it's the natural thing. It's a self-promotion. It's what is best for me. But that is not at all what Jesus has called us to. We are called to be gentle, to be meek, to be humble. Paul wrote to the Philippian church about this when he said in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. That doesn't come naturally. We like to make things about us. But a gentle spirit is not congruent with arrogance and with pride. They cannot coexist. 
when we have pride in our lives, when we seek our own good, when we seek our own welfare, we do not have a gentle spirit. Why is it so important to have a gentle spirit? James here says that it's because our own anger, our own ways does not accomplish the righteousness of God. What he's saying there is that when you try to fix things in your own ability, when you try to make things right based on who you are, the best thing that you will get is the best that you can offer, which we all know is not very good. Jesus said, we've talked about it almost every week, that apart from him, you can do nothing. And so when we seek to to fulfill things and solve problems in our own ability and we think we can bring what it takes to the situation, we will get exactly that, what we can bring. But when we give it to the Lord, when we humbly submit, when we have that gentle spirit and understanding that we are not the answer, we can get the best of what the Lord has to offer. So we say that first that gentleness is a, a picture of meekness and humility. But at the same time, the second thing I want us to see is this, that gentleness is not passivity. Now, a lot of times when we talk about being meek and, and humble and gentle, we think that we're just going to take a, a back seat. We're going to take a step back. But that is not at all what God has called us to. Humility does not mean that we are going to become passive. But passivity is not at all what gentleness requires. It's easy to think of those two things as one, and, and that's what we tend to, but that's not what the Bible says. Looking back here at James chapter 1, 19 and following, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Verse 21, the first part of it. Therefore, as a result of those things, going back here, as, re, as a result of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, having that spirit. Therefore, rid yourself, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. The command to a gentle spirit is really a command to bear arms against the evil and the sin of this world. See, as we submit ourselves to the Lord and realize that we are humbly in submission to him, that is not a call to passivity and submission just to this world. It is a call to submission to the Lord, but it is a call to fight the ways of this world and to abandon the ways of our self. It has to go. The sin in our life, the things around us, they cannot be part of us. You look at Jesus, he's a great example, the perfect example of gentleness. But Jesus was not a passive person when he was on this earth. During his ministry, he flipped tables, he did a lot of things, he said some bold things. It wasn't just in those moments that he wasn't gentle. He was gentle all throughout his ministry. But he was, when he chose to, to correct things and to say things, he was doing it with the right, pure motive and the intention. We can't just passively sit around and let things happen around us. When Jesus saw sin in the world, he confronted it. And as we see sin in the world, we must confront it as well. He says we have to rid ourselves of all moral filth and evil that is prevalent. What does that look like? It looks like the fruit of the works of the flesh. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, but just the two verses prior to the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says the works of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I have warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
We are to go to war with those things. As, a, as we are gentle in this life and as we follow the Lord, none of those things can exist around us because every single one of those will tear down our gentle spirit. When you are living in sin, you will not live a life of meekness and humility and gentleness before the Lord. Passivity is not an option, is not a viable option for us as believers. Rather, we must fight the sin in this world. You guys know the story of Cain and Abel. One of the first questions that we see in the Bible coming from a person, it's not the first, but one of the first comes from Cain. Right after he killed his brother Abel, he was jealous of him. He was jealous of the attention that God had given Abel and that he, God had accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's because of the spirit in which it was offered. But Cain asked these words, am I my brother's keeper? When God said, hey, where's your brother Abel? Where, where is he? Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, am I responsible for what other people around me do? And the answer is yes, we are. Just a few verses after the fruit of the Spirit, this is what Paul says to us. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you will also not be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So how would Paul answer the question, am I my brother's keeper? He's saying, absolutely. When you look around and you see your brother or your sister walking in wrongdoing, walking in sin, the Bible says that it is your responsibility to go and to correct them if you are walking with the Lord, those who are spiritual. But how are we to do it? With a gentle spirit. See, one of the hardest things that you'll ever do in this world actually is confronting a fellow believer with sin that is in their life. It can be a daunting thing to do. But the Bible says that we are to do it with gentleness. That is not a passive thing that we're going to do. That's a very intentional thing. That's a hard thing to do. It's a choice you have to make. When you do it, the Bible says that we have to do it humbly. He says, do it with a gentle spirit, knowing that you could be in that same situation were it not for the Lord. But carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we are called to have gentle spirits, but that does not mean that we are passive and just ignoring and putting blinders on our lives and ignoring everything that's happening around us. When we are gentle, when we're humble, when we're meek, it's seeking after the Lord and it's asking us to, to not just ignore those things, but to go to war with sin. It is not passivity. Perfect example of this is Jesus. There's so many examples we could go to, but I want to go back to Philippians chapter 2. Read the verses that we just read a minute ago, but continue on. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Now listen to the example of how we can do this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. You see, it was the humility, the gentleness, the meekness of Christ that led him to the cross. Jesus was in heaven in a situation better than we could ever imagine. He didn't look at earth and look at the sin and trouble we were in and think, well, that's their problem. 
Maybe I'll just wipe them out and start over and start a new race that maybe they won't send in this way. No, Jesus had a love and a compassion for them and considered us more important than himself. That's really hard to grasp and really to understand. But it's exactly what Scripture says, that Jesus considered others as more important than himself. So he left heaven. He humbled himself. Not just It's one thing to humble yourself from heaven to become a man on earth. It's another thing to do it 2,000 years ago before there was air conditioning. He could have chosen any time. I would have chosen a different time, but that's just me. But beyond that, Jesus died, became a servant, and suffered the humiliating death on the cross. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. And it was his humility, his meekness, his gentleness that led him to do that. That's not very passive, is it? Jesus is our example in this, and he does not accept passivity. The third thing, final thing we'll see, is that gentleness is only accomplished through submission to God. Gentleness is only accomplished through submission to God. Going on in James 1, he says, Therefore you rid yourself of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And how do you do it? By humbly receiving the implanted word, the word of God, scripture, which is able to save your souls. Notice he says there that we must humbly receive the implanted word. What does that mean? It means that when we come to the word of God, we have to allow it to be planted into our hearts. We must implant it into our hearts. We have to wrestle with it. We have to read it. We have to meditate on it. We have to study it. It's not just for a a head knowledge. We have to humbly come to it knowing that it has the power to change us and that as we spend time with the Lord, as we spend time with God, it will challenge us. It will point out the flaws in our lives and it will show us where we need to be more like Jesus. Gentleness is only accomplished through a submission to God. And why is that? Because God is gentleness. It's who he is. All of the fruit of the Spirit, these are not just things that God contains, that Jesus contains, or something that Jesus does. Jesus doesn't just love. Jesus is love. Jesus doesn't just have joy sometimes in his life. He is joy. And you go on and on, and Jesus doesn't just contain gentleness. Jesus doesn't just do gentle acts. Jesus is gentleness. It is who he is. And when we come to him, he will bear that fruit in our lives. Listen to these words of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. Other translations there would say, I am gentle and humble in heart. For you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what your day looked like. I don't know what tomorrow looks like for any of us. But I know that the Lord's yoke, Jesus' yoke, is easy and light. Now, we struggle in this world, and we have so many things that we, we struggle with and so many things that are hard and weigh down on us. But Jesus says that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. What does that mean? Jesus is not going to come and just dump all this stuff on us. Jesus is gentle and lowly and humble in heart. And he will provide rest for each one of us. And as we rest in the Lord, the Bible says that he will bear the fruit of gentleness in our life. Because when we spend time with the Lord, we will look more like the Lord. You know that's true. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. 
You know it's true in your life. When, when you start to hang around somebody a lot, you start to talk like them. You start to act like them. Sometimes you start to dress like them and you look like them. Maybe you get your hair cut like them. Whatever it is, when you spend time with people, you start to look like them. And when you spend time with the Lord, you will start to look more like the Lord. He will produce that fruit in your life. How do we do that? How do we have the fruit produced in our life from the Lord? Last verse we'll look at. We've looked at it almost every week. The words of Jesus in John 15, 4 and 5, where Jesus says, Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing without me. The more time you spend with the Lord, Jesus said his words exactly, the more time you spend with the Lord, the more fruit you will bear. The more that you allow Jesus to remain, abide in your life, in your heart, the more fruit you will bear. If you spend a little time with Jesus, you'll get a little fruit. If you spend a lot of time with Jesus, you get a lot of fruit. There is a direct correlation to how much time we spend with the Lord, how closely we walk with the Lord, with the fruit that he will produce in our lives. And we see that as we seek gentleness, as we hold up the mirror of the fruit of the Spirit and we say, am I gentle? Is there a humility, a meekness about my spirit? Am I passive or am I through that, through that gentleness and that, that hum, humble spirit willing to t- make the hard decisions and have the hard conversations and talk to people and, and do the right thing and stand up for, for what is right and fight the sin in my life? Am I able to do that, not because I think I'm anything, but because I'm submitting humbly to the Lord and I have this gentle spirit that is in submission to him. As we hold up the mirror of the fruit of the spirit and ask, is that true of my life? If the answer is no, the answer is not just trying harder. The answer is not trying to be gentle or, or trying to get the formula right. The answer is spending time with the Lord. Because when you submit to the Lord, he will bear the fruit of gentleness in your life. For apart from him, you can do what? Nothing. And that's not Jesus just saying that. That's true. Now, we don't like, to, we don't like that. I don't like that. You know, I've said here before, surely I can do something. There's something I can do. Maybe it's not the best, but I can do something. Jesus says no. The best that you can do apart from him relates exactly to nothing at the end of time. And anything we do in him, it will bear much fruit. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your gentleness that you showed and that you displayed to us when you're on this earth. Lord, we thank you that you were humble. Lord, you were meek. Though you have all power, all authority given to you, Lord, that you chose to to temporarily lay aside your equality with God. You came to earth and you humbly submitted as a servant and that you humbly submitted even to the point of death on a cross for our sin. So Lord, I pray that tonight that you will bear the fruit of gentleness in our lives. Lord, as I said earlier, gentleness is not my natural, natural inclination. Lord, it's not what I go to in the morning first thing. 
But Lord, I pray that even through that, even through my personality and my flaws, that you would bear gentleness in my life. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would bear the fruit of gentleness. As we abide in you, that you would abide in us and that we would produce much fruit as a result. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that every answer to any of the fruit of the Spirit, how we get it, is simply to come to you. And that you say, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, that your yoke is easy, your burden is light, that we can come to you and that you promise to bear fruit in our lives. Lord, we don't want to be deceived. We know that you are not mocked. What we reap, so we will reap. Lord, that when we sow to our flesh, we will reap the destruction of our flesh. But when we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life through the Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that this week you would help each one of us to spend time with you. Lord, that we would not neglect that time with you, that we would not neglect the abiding with you. If we wake up late, if we have a busy day, that that would not be something that we would forsake. Lord, that we would spend time with you each and every day, and as a result, you would bear the fruit in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.